The following episode contains descriptions of gore, graphic body horror, and suicide. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. If you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts or the impulse to self-harm, please seek help. The United States National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. There is nothing supernatural or inevitable about your pain. You shouldn't have to live with ghosts. The following is from Charles Dickens' The Signal Man, where a man meets a railway worker who believes he receives dark omens about future train accidents. His pain of mind was most pitiable to see. It was the mental torture of a conscientious man oppressed beyond endurance by an unintelligible responsibility involving life. When it first stood under the danger light, he went on, putting his dark hair back from his head and drawing his hands outward across and across his temples in an extremity of feverish distress. Why not tell me where the accident was to happen if it must happen? Why not tell me how it could be averted if it could have been averted? When on its second coming, it hid its face. Why not tell me instead she's going to die? Let them keep her at home. If it came on those two occasions only to show me that its warnings were true and so to prepare me for the third, why not warn me plainly now? And I, Lord help me, a mere poor signal man on this solitary station, why not go to somebody with credit to be believed and power to act? Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we conclude Charles Dickens' tale of industrial horror from 1866, The Signal Man. This is the final entry in a two-part series, so if you haven't listened to part one yet, make sure you go back and start from the beginning. I will continue to tell this tale from the point of view of our narrator, Jack, a young man who misses his train. 
this mundane inconvenience soon turns into a strange encounter when Jack meets the station's signalman. The man is responsible for keeping the trains running in safe and timely order, but he's haunted by visions. Again and again, the old man sees the victims of train accidents appear on the tracks before the accidents happen. But soon, he makes a confession. The signalman warns Jack that he was the latest spectre to appear on the tracks, meaning Jack will be the next to die. Coming up, Jack attempts to escape his grisly fate. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. I sat across from the old signal man in his tiny booth, too stunned for words. There was silence. The ground hummed beneath my feet from a distant train, and still I said nothing. But what does one say when a stranger confesses they have foreseen your death? I wanted to laugh, to chalk up the old man's vision to senility or loneliness. After all, he was convinced that he had seen spectres on the tracks not once, not twice, but three times. Ghosts who stood by the warning light at the mouth of the dark train tunnel, covering their face with one arm and waving with the other. And they all cried out the same phrase. Look out! Below there! But I didn't laugh, because the grave look on the signal man's face made my blood run cold. And despite the absurdity of his story, the certainty with which he said it was what frightened me. Yet despite my fear, I found myself struck by curiosity. Tell me, I asked, why do you think the spectres cover their faces? The old man looked around his little booth, then shook his head. <clears throat> I don't know. Perhaps, like me, they do not wish to see the horror of the accident. Lucky devils. They don't have to watch. The signal man trailed off, and I watched his eyes drift to some place beyond the walls of the tiny booth. No doubt he was replaying the tragedy of those train crashes in his mind. But I continued to probe. Why, perhaps, do you think these spirits appear to you and not, say, the conductor? The signal man shrugged. <clears throat> Don't know that either. Of all the people they could come to, I could only do so much. If I tried to stop the trains while we searched for a young lady who might run across the tracks... <laughs> They chucked me in bedlam, and she'd die anyway. God, that poor girl. The poor girl he spoke of had been decapitated by a train long ago, and the signal man claimed to have seen her spectre. 
waving at him from the tunnel before the real girl ever stepped foot on the tracks. It was a terribly chilling coincidence, made even more so by the fact that I knew that girl. She was my sister, Evelyn. But I didn't dare tell the signalman this. I didn't want to risk agitating him further. For a moment, I heard her voice, a reedy laugh from long ago. Was Evelyn laughing at me now, discussing ghosts and fate, sitting with an old signalman? Evelyn didn't believe in fate, which felt ironic to me as I sat in that rickety toll booth. Perhaps she believed chance was protecting her when she dashed along the rails, chasing her wind-blown hat. Chance had always been on Evelyn's side. She always won at cards. That day she placed her life in the hands of chance and lost. But until the end, she had lived fearlessly. A feeling welled in my chest that I had not felt since I was a child, before my world changed. Suddenly, I wanted to face the horrors that tormented me. I turned to the signal man, my voice steady. May I see the tunnel? The old man was taken aback, but he nodded. He turned on the warning light, got up on his creaky legs, and walked us up the incline toward the dark void surrounded by soot-covered brick. I gazed into the dark as the gaslights behind us were swallowed up by night. It was cold and still, too inhospitable even for a spirit. I listened for Evelyn's voice in spite of myself, but only the wind howled in reply. Then, in that long darkness, something stirred. Not on the ground, not some skittering fat rat, but a shape in the air coming toward us. The shadowy form was long and thin, its lilting stride unnervingly familiar. I had no double, no twin, yet this shadow walked like me. Terror raced through my veins like a runaway train. The signal man turned to me. Do you see? Yes, I hissed. I couldn't keep my eyes off the shape as it got closer and closer, as if pushed by the screaming wind in the tunnel. I braced myself for the worst, until the form revealed itself to be a flurry of orange leaves. The wind in the tunnel had forced them into the loose form of a man, a very loose approximation. My harbinger of doom was, in fact, foliage. Feeling foolish and angry, I whipped around to the signal man. Was that the spectre you saw? A pile of leaves that you thought looked like me? The signal man shook his head. No, he was real, like you or I. I raised an eyebrow and asked if the figure had really called out to him. The signal man replied with tragic desperation. Yes. Why won't you believe me? My anger faded. Thanks to my sister's death and my own anxious nature, I had first-hand experience with fear. Fear so primal it grips you by the throat. I knew I should not take my grief out on a man who was suffering as much, if not more, than I was. 
I chose my next words carefully. Have you told a doctor what you've seen? The signal man looked left and right, as if a physician might leap out from the shadows to trap him. Then he insisted, I, I, I won't go to Bedlam, sir. I assured him, You will not be taken anywhere, on my word. But you do not need to keep suffering horrible visions like these. Come with me to see a doctor, my friend. I want to help you. The signal man sighed and nodded. I will. After all, I can't deny anyone their dying wish. I felt anger rise again as he mentioned my supposed death. I wanted to shake him, to tell him this supernatural distraction would get people killed. People like Evelyn had been killed. Yet he stood there, staring at me with such sadness and certainty. It was that look on his face that caused my fears to come creeping back to me. Perhaps he was right. Perhaps he did see some harbinger of my death on the tracks. I shivered. But even so, I told myself, my death was not inevitable. If I never set foot in this station or travelled by rail again, I needn't worry. I decided I would not attempt to catch the next train out of town to meet my family. I'd feign illness to get out of the trip. My wife would forgive my absence. She would understand. As long as I did not travel, I would not die. I looked at the signal man shivering in the cold. Then I took off my coat and draped it round his hunched, trembling shoulders. He looked at me with confusion and let me dress him like a child. My heart ached as I realized no one had treated him with kindness in a very long time. I held his gaze. My friend, you may view fate as a terrible thing, but it can also be good. You see, the girl in the accident you saw, that was my sister. His eyes widened in fear, but I reassured him, that day changed us both, and somehow fate brought me here to meet you, and I think for a reason because we have both suffered that same horror. The signal man's gaze was tinged with wonder now. I continued, but you cannot go on like this. Things seem dark, and there is an end to your pain. I've been there, and was unable to get better until I sought help. Only you can end your suffering. It's all in your control. A strange serenity seemed to overtake the signal man. Had I really gotten through to him? The old man smiled. Yes, I think you're right. I sighed with relief and squeezed his shoulder. I must be off. You keep the coat and stay warm tonight. Meet me at the north entrance tomorrow morning at nine, and I shall take you to my doctor, yes? He nodded. My rational mind told me I had found the loophole, but I was wrong, so terribly wrong. Up next, a new tragedy 
on the rails. The internet. What would we do without it? So much information, so little time. And yet, with all the answers available online, there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets. Mysteries yet to be solved until now. This isn't clickbait. This is our exclusive new podcast, Internet Urban Legends. I'm Loie, your evidence expert. And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. Now, back to the story. I could barely remember my carriage ride home from the station. The entire night, I was lost in a fog of fear. I knew the signalman's visions of a spectre waving in panic on the tracks were just that. Visions. Projections of the horrors he'd witnessed. After all, the images from my sister Evelyn's death had haunted me for years, and I hadn't even seen the gruesome accident. But the signalman had and no doubt witnessing such a tragedy could scar a person, perhaps even cause them to hallucinate. But even so, his prophecy of my death on the train tracks still affected me deeply. To comfort myself, I resolved to never set foot in a train station again. If I stayed away from trains altogether, a grisly death on the rails wouldn't just be unlikely, it would be impossible. But I did have to enter the station one last time, for I had promised the signalman that I would return the next day to take him to my doctor. The next morning, I took yet another carriage ride gripped with fear. I tried to focus on the passing scene of the city outside my window and not the approaching station looming ever closer. I reminded myself of my objective. I would take the poor signal man to my doctor, and then I was sure my fears would be rendered moot. The doctor would explain that the signal man's visions were simply tragic memories, misplaced guilt, or perhaps even an odd side effect of smoke inhalation. Any answer would do, as long as they weren't ghosts. I stood on the street at the north entrance to the station, peering inside. The sun glinted through the windows, creating a golden thatch pattern on the wood below. It looked inviting, but I couldn't trust it. After all, I'd sworn to never enter the place again. In my mind's eye, I saw that spectral shape from the tunnel waiting there for me, sneaking from pane to pane, dancing on the razor-thin lines of darkness. I wondered, if the signalman left the station, could his visions follow him? I was early, so I bought a newspaper and read for a bit on a bench outside. When the clock struck nine, I looked around for my new friend. 
but the signalman wasn't there. The swirling mass of people moved in and out of the door like the leaves in that horrible tunnel. Each time I saw a railroad employee, my heart leapt, only to be disappointed when it wasn't the signalman. Perhaps I'd pushed him too hard. It might be best to descend to the tracks and find him, but the courage I had felt last night had evaporated in the morning light. So I waited and waited, but he did not come. I told myself I could wait in the foyer by the ticket booth, far from the stairs to the platform. If a train somehow escaped the tracks and crushed me by the booth, well, I wouldn't be the only victim. I forced a laugh at this strange thought, but it caught in my throat and stung. I walked inside. The station was crowded, even for the morning rush. There was a delay at the ticket counter. A line had formed, and the food and flower vendors who plied their trade on the platforms were making their rounds. But still, the signalman was nowhere to be found. I had an overwhelming sense that something was wrong. I stumbled along the brick embankment that held the tracks, not sure what I was looking for. Perhaps a glimpse of the signalman's little booth, some sign that life had gone on as society expected it to. Then I caught sight of his cap across the tracks. There was a signalman in the booth, I realized. Just not my signalman. As my eyes scanned the rails, I spotted workmen gathered on the far side of the tracks, nervously muttering to each other. They were standing near the entrance of that horrible tunnel, forming a small crowd, surrounding something. Then I saw that the ground around them was slick with oil and blood. I suddenly knew what awaited behind that crowd of workmen, yet I stepped a bit closer to look anyway and gasped. It's not often that one gets to see their own dead body. The man's torso was two feet away from his legs, which were bent at angles that will haunt me forever. The head was missing, shorn off like my sister's. The body wore my coat, and this, of course, is what made me think that I had died. That I'd been crushed by a train at the beginning of this mess and had haunted the station since, but no, I realized I was not wearing that coat now for I had draped it over the trembling shoulders of the signalman the night before. It was then that I knew the identity of the body on the tracks. The realization hit me with the intensity of a freight train. I caught the arm of a passing railroad employee who carried mechanics tools. Excuse me, sir, what happened? The young man sighed. <sighs> Signalman was killed this morning, sir. I felt my breath catch, but I managed to ask if it was the man who worked last night. The worker sighed. The very same. Were you familiar? I told him I was, in a way. Then I asked how he died. The man considered me, searching for words that would not come. If you knew him, sir, you should just 
come now. He's got no family. I didn't know if I should go near the tracks, or if the signalman's prophecy still applied. Was I safe at last? And what was wrong with me that I still worried about myself? But then I remembered that no trains were running. That would keep me safe. At least, I hoped it would. The staircase looked much steeper this time. Once again, I felt like I was descending into hell. My heart pounded as we strode across the tracks to stand near the crowd of workmen. There, the young man returned to his story. It's the oddest thing. No man in England knew his work better. But somehow, he was not clear of the outer rail. It was at dawn. He'd struck the light and had the lamp in his hand. As the train came out of the tunnel, his back was toward her and she cut him down. I stared back at him, transfixed. I knew the old man had seen visions, ones that had surely distracted him, but I also observed how diligent he was in his work. His death seemed more than a simple misstep. I remembered my eerie walk to the tunnel with the signalman the night before and his desperate behavior. I thought I'd soothed him when I told him he had the power to end his suffering. But perhaps he took my advice too literally. I was racked by guilt. How could I have not seen that he wished to end his life? I'd had my own struggles with that beckoning darkness, and now, without knowing, I'd led the signalman right to it. I had an urge to run. I wanted to leave the horrors of the train station and my shame behind. But I couldn't obey that urge. Instead, I asked, What's your name, sir? The worker looked at me strangely. I imagine if a man in my finery asked his name, it was usually to get him in trouble. I added quickly, I would just like to know the people who knew him. The worker shrugged. Ollie, sir. Pleasure, though I wish it was under better circumstances. He nodded to another man standing among the crowd of workers. That man drove the train that killed the signalman. Tom, come tell the gentleman. Tom, the conductor, approached, his eyes sunken and haunted. He was even younger than the mechanic. He couldn't meet my eyes. Instead, he merely gestured to the warning light by the tunnel, the place where the signalman had his horrible visions. He was right there. I was coming round the curve when I saw him. There was no time to slow my speed, but I knew the signalman to be very careful. He'd jump out of the way when I blew the whistle. But when he didn't take heed, I called to him as loud as I could. I felt the hair stand on the back of my neck. I took a deep breath and asked Tom what he'd said. He continued. I said, for God's sake, clear the way. Below there, look out, look out. I couldn't breathe. I felt the horrible rumble of approaching wheels beneath me. There was no train coming, and yet my ears rang and my heart beat as if one was. Tom sighed. Oh, it was dreadful, sir. I never stopped calling to him. I put one arm before my eyes because I was too frightened to look, but I assure you, 
I waved my other arm and yelled until the very last possible second. Tom lifted his hand to his eyes, obscuring his face, then waved his other arm erratically. A perfect rendition of the ghost the signal man saw. I wondered if Tom was the signal man's vision. After all, he'd spoken the words and made the gestures. Maybe he was the one in danger. But then it dawned on me. The signal man was confused by the spectre's clothes. He thought it was me, because I hadn't yet given him my coat when he saw it. He couldn't know that the soul he saw in the tunnel was his own ghost, clad in another's clothes. The tragedy had not played out exactly as the signal man said it would, but I couldn't deny that he'd seen and known something. Or maybe this was all foolish. The truth may be that the signal man was a sad soul in dire need of assistance who'd ended his suffering in the only way he felt was possible. Perhaps he'd asked for help before and been ignored and forgotten, as men in his station often are. Maybe his supernatural stories were simply his last gasp for aid. Maybe he didn't care if people thought he was mad as long as people thought of him at all. I'll never know. I cannot fathom the meaning of a man's journey through life when I only got on board at the last stop. I made my way up out of the dark into the sun. I swore that even though I'd never ride trains again, I'd remember and honor this poor soul for the rest of my days. A vow easier said than done. I was halfway home when I realized that I'd never even thought to ask the signal man's name. On June 9th, 1865, a train crashed just outside the small English village of Staplehurst. It was a simple mistake. A mechanic misread the timetables, leading the train to a track that was still under construction. No one was aware the train was approaching until it was too late. The driver was unable to stop and the carriage derailed, killing ten passengers and injuring many more. Among them was Charles Dickens, his mistress Ellen Ternan, and her mother, all of whom narrowly survived. Dickens would never write openly of the crash because he didn't want to draw attention to his infidelity. So he waited to fictionalize the terror of the experience in The Signal Man. Like much of Dickens' work, the story is heavily political. The Signal Man's greatest lament is that he cannot prevent the accidents he knows will happen because no one will listen. He is but a lowly cog in a massive industrial system. Signalmen received little formal training in the early days of the railroads. Nearly every train job required keen focus and endurance, and signalmen were expected to work 12-hour shifts or more. It was a stressful post with a high psychological cost. Even if a signalman was lucky enough to never bear witness to a collision himself, the anxiety of constant vigilance, coupled with social isolation, 
still took their toll. The narrator of Dickens' story does not dismiss the signalman's tale as a flight of fancy. He views it as a sign of psychological stress that represents an issue of public safety and resolves to get him medical help. But he is tragically too late, and the cycle begins again. In this way, Dickens suggests that it is not just one station and tunnel that is haunted, but a whole country. In The Signal Man, he presents a new industrialized world obsessed with trains, at the expense of some of its most vulnerable people. The progress of the Victorian era crushed many beneath its wheels. Dickens seems haunted by the simple reality that he too could have been one of them. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Dorita and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. <laughs> <laughs>